to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. Congresswoman Ann Kirkpatrick has been a fixture in Arizona politics since 2005. She served a pair of terms at the Arizona legislature, and she's in her fifth term in Congress in Washington. And she announced last week she will not be running for a sixth term in D.C. Throughout her career, She's used her time as someone who's very familiar with rural Arizona to bring more representation to smaller towns and communities. More recently, she's been a key member of the House's Appropriations Committee. That's a pretty influential post. In January of 2020, she took some time off to treat alcoholism after a fall, and she returned to Congress in late February of that year. In today's episode, we sit down with Congresswoman Ann Kirkpatrick discuss her career and what her absence will look like. Uh, Congresswoman Ann Kirkpatrick, thank you again for joining us on The Gaggle. Um, You announced you won't seek another term in Congress next term. Uh, Why are you stepping away and why are you doing it now? Yeah, you know, I've been in public service for 18 years, Ron, and, uh, you know, I've always been a proponent of term limits, and we never were able to pass that legislation, so I'm sort of term limiting myself. It's time to to pass pass along the torch and uh, the baton and, and let somebody else take over. Plus, quite honestly, there's a personal interest. I have three grandsons, two four-year-olds and one five-year-old. And, and Roger and I have talked it over numerous times, and we would just like to, to be available to them, spend more time with them and, and family here in Arizona, all of our families here in Arizona. So um, I hear you on that. When last we were chatting, uh, just before the pandemic really sort of overtook all of us, you also had a pretty significant health incident that uh, kept you away from your work for a time. And of course, we've all been uh, wrapped up with the COVID situation as well. How much has your health factored into this? You've relied on proxy voting or? Yeah, it's not a factor at all. You know, that's been resolved and and, uh, it just didn't play into our decision. The pandemic has touched your life very personally, as it has so many of us. Can you, can you give us a sense of how it has affected your family? Yeah, we've had three family members pass away from COVID, uh, two uncles and one aunt. And people, uh, you know, we were really, really close to here in Arizona. And so, yeah, it has been very, very impactful. You've had a, um, a, a career unlike anyone else's in Arizona's uh, history, as far as I can tell. You've represented two different parts of the state. Um, you've come back from two defeats and one office again. Um, what do you make of the trajectory of your political career at this point? Well, it's been really, really interesting. But, but you know, the key, Ron, has been I always put Arizona first. 
no matter what district I'm running in. And it's the same for appropriations. So I, you know, I really, I really lobbied hard to get on the appropriations committee. So I'm the only Arizona appropriator. And we still have infrastructure projects that we need funding. And Arizona doesn't have the private property tax base to do those. So we've got to rely on federal funds. So over 80% of our land in Arizona is public land, either state or federal. And so we've got to have federal funds invested in Arizona to build up our infrastructure. So that includes water and transportation and electricity. So, you know, those have been my top priorities all along and making sure that we've got that infrastructure in place, especially in rural Arizona. Give us a sense of sort of what you've learned over the course of your career that you wished you had known back when you got started. Well, you know, I think the the thing I've learned the most is how much personal relationships play in legislation. Now, I actually learned that in the state legislature that, you know, reach across the aisle, get to know your colleagues. You never know when you're going to find common ground. And so I had a very successful career in the state legislature, and I took that information and applied it in Congress. And it's really, again, you know, I would go uh, sit on the, it's so funny, they have a Republican side and a Democratic side. I never agreed with that. But, um, you know, I would pick out a couple of Republican members that I didn't really know really well and just go sit by them and say, hey, tell me your background. How did you get here? You know, what are your, the, your priorities? What are you working on? What committees do you serve on? And it's just amazing how that personal touch goes such a long way. Uh, and so I always had um, Republican members on my legislation uh, until, until Trump was elected. So, uh, you know, I, my Arizona colleagues have always been behind me. Uh, and I was a little disappointed that I was running some legislation for Arizona, went to my Republican Arizona colleagues and I said, you know, will you sign on to this? And they said, Ann, we've always been with you, but we can't right now, because if we sign on to your legislation, Trump will find us a primary opponent. And so that was disappointing because uh, for the first time, politics really played into policy. Uh, and, and I didn't like that at all, but we survived. And you and I have gone back pretty much to the beginning of your congressional career. Uh, I. <laughs> you started your career as a pretty moderate Democrat in a district uh, in representing northeastern Arizona. Uh, you prominently noted your support for gun rights, for example. Uh, you've wound up in the Tucson area uh, as that area has really moved pretty sharply to the left, uh, not just on gun control, but other issues as well, uh, most notably perhaps as health care. Uh, how have your own political views evolved over time? How much has time changed you? How much has has changed the electorate around you? Well, well, you know, definitely I've evolved uh, with the changes, and I think that's really important uh, for a legislator to be to be open to to change and and looking at uh, positions in a different way. Healthcare has always been my top priority. You know that, Ron. Um, I grew up in rural Arizona. Uh, my father died because there wasn't a doctor at the hospital when he had his heart attack. My brother is, has brain damage because there wasn't a doctor at the hospital when he was born and he really needed it, needed it the most. So 
it's impacted our family in a big, big way. Uh, I'm really happy to say that that my oldest daughter is a physician practicing in the Prescott area, uh, but it's so important. It's so important for people to have that care, have access to that care. Are there any other ways or other examples that you can give us about how your political views have sort of evolved over your tenure? I mean, you are so proud of your daughter, obviously. What other areas do you think that you've really sort of maybe changed along with the state's demographics or the, yeah, or the times? Yeah, definitely my position on Medicare for all. I wasn't for Medicare for all. I, I didn't, it didn't make sense to me. And quite honestly, I've had some, some very deep conversations with my daughter and, and she just was like, look, mom, you know, if it weren't for Medicare, these people wouldn't be getting their care. Uh, and so I switched my position on that. I'm now very supportive of Medicare for all. And I want to make sure that physicians and hospital hospitals get their proper reimbursement. Uh, but I now realize that that it's essential to making sure that everybody has health care. The house map is about to be redrawn again. Um, what accounts do you think for the big move to the left that Ron sort of referenced in your in your district over the past decade? Is it an anti-Trump sort of thing, or do you think it will just keep moving away from the GOP for other reasons? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's more for other reasons. I, you know, I, I think, well, let me first address gun rights. I mean, when Gabby was shot, that that changed my perspective on everything regarding guns. Uh, I had been a gun owner. I went hunting as a kid with my dad up in the White Mountains and um, very close to Gabby. And that just shook me to the core. Uh, I just I just said, you know, I've got to reevaluate my position. I grieved for a long time uh, about Gabby and um, she's so remarkable. She's made such a remarkable comeback. Uh, she's a good friend. You know, I'm so happy that Mark is in the Senate. Uh, you know, we've got good represent, representation from Arizona. And um, yeah, you know, my position evolved. Regarding redistricting, we know that's coming up. Uh, you know, I, at this point, I've represented almost all of rural Arizona at some point or another. Uh, so we'll be watching what happens with that. But, you know, I, re I really think it's important that we have competitive districts in Arizona. Uh, I think that that's the best kind of district that that the redistricting commission can draw uh, because, you know, it, it it involves everybody and and we don't just want one party districts, you know, Democrat district or Republican district. We want everybody to be involved in getting out the vote and making sure that they feel that their voices are being heard. So let's talk about the parties for a moment. Um, the Republicans clearly are in what appears to be a struggle for the identity and, and future of their party that has been pretty well documented, especially after January 6th. But Democrats seem to be having what almost looks like a generational struggle playing out on on the left as well. There is this um, tension over how far to go and how fast to move on things from social justice to health care to economic priorities and such. Um, you've had kind of a foot in both camps in the two districts that you've represented. Uh, as somebody who has, you know, sort of seen 
the push and pull on both sides of this issue. What's your advice to Democrats moving forward uh, as they try and figure out how to challenge the old guard and, and hold their coalition together? I think it's really important, Ron, to be accessible. Uh, and that's why I, I started doing the Congress on Your Corner again in Tucson and, and hearing from all kinds of people. You know, people would show up uh, and there were long lines of people who wanted to talk with me. I never asked them their party affiliation. Some of them volunteered that they were Republicans, uh, but they were really interested in, in a moderate point of view that represented uh, a wide range of, of people in Arizona. You know, I think we're a great state. Uh, we're, we're, you know, people try to, in Washington, try to say Arizona is a Republican state. I just don't find that's true. I, I think that, I think we are a great state and we've had great leaders from all different kinds of parties uh, and we continue to do so uh, and we will for the future. So, you know, I, I, I'm not gonna run for another term but I will stay involved in politics in Arizona. But on that front, like, do you have any contact, for example, with representatives like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Would you, you know, offer any kind of unsolicited advice to uh, like-minded new-ish members who have their own ideas about how quickly the Democratic Party needs to manage its agenda? Yeah, you know, I, I know Alexandria, and she's a great member of Congress, and she represents her district really, really well. Uh, you know, it's a New York district, and uh, but I don't think her district is exemplifies what we're looking at in the West. So I really think there's a real difference in in Western uh, United States as opposed to the East Coast. So I think in in Western United States we we you know I I'll just give you an example. I mean uh, we have a house in Flagstaff and. And our next door neighbor is a, a very active member in the Tea Party, uh, but you know we talk, we we have barbecues together, uh, you know we share bread together. <laughs> so uh, I just think that's who Arizonans are. I mean, we embrace each other regardless of our uh, points of view, and we go beyond just politics. There are more women in Congress now than there were when you uh, first arrived. So an achievement on the female front. Uh, yeah, what are your biggest or what are the biggest um, challenges and changes, good or bad, that sort of stand out to you um, compared to when you first entered to today, specifically for women? Well, I think it's great to have more women, quite honestly. And I'll just tell you, uh, my experience has been women are more willing to collaborate uh, and they don't draw, draw these hard and fast lines in the sand that, you know, I'm, you can't cross this line or I'm not going to support you. And, you know, I gave the example of, of uh, you know, colleagues who wouldn't support my legislation because of President Trump. And, and I just don't find that with the women. I mean, they look beyond politics and they're like, what's best for the American people? What's best for families? What's best for children? Uh, and that's really where my heart is. And so, you know, it's been great to work with them. Great, great women in Congress on, on all sides of the party. Um, and, and so, you know, I just find women are, are willing to better listeners, um, better, more open to different points of view. So would that apply to Representative Debbie Lesko, a Republican, Senator Kirsten Sinema, 
um, a Democrat. Uh, do, do, do you apply that to, to those members? I do. I do. And, you know, I, I really like both of those members um, so much. And and Debbie's been a great addition. I mean, she represents, you know, a, a pretty Republican district. And so, you know, I get it. She's representing her constituents, but she she also has an open mind. And, and um, you know, I it's a, it's really I enjoy serving with both of them. Um, you've obviously spent a lot of your career uh, dealing with health care, the blowback from passing health care changes, the need to uh, readdress them from your party's perspective. And it, it, health care obviously just seems like it's been a major through line of your political career. Let's put that one to the side for a moment. Um, what Give us a sense of some of the other things that happen that people may not, people like me may not even write about, but are part of uh, what you think people should know when they think about the work of Congress. Well, I think there are a couple of things. I mean, the first that comes to mind is immigration reform. So, so I've, the reason I ran for the state legislature, this is 18 years ago, uh, was to pass comprehensive immigration reform. So I got frustrated with the sort of past patchwork immigration system we had in this country, uh, different states having different laws. It was confusing to people. Uh, and, we, you know, we have a, we have a, a very mobile uh, population in Arizona who move from state to state. And, and, you know, then they have to learn a whole new uh, immigration policy. So it just made sense to me that we have a, a system that applies across the board in every state in Arizona, it had to be a federal system. So, you know, great, great, great work with the Border Patrol. Uh, and, you know, I go to the to the border frequently and, and you know, and talk to the immigrants. You know, they, they live in tents uh, for months at the border waiting for their number to be called by Homeland Security. And so, you know, they're little kids running around. I mean, it's still um, not a perfect system but I do think we're making progress. On that front, if you could just uh, quickly address the border situation as you see it at the moment under President Biden, he's taking a lot of heat, uh, obviously from Republicans, but now from others who are concerned about what looks like a a rapid change and deterioration in the ability to manage the situation there. Do you agree, is this an unworkable situation and does the president need to make near-term changes? You know, I don't think it's unworkable, Ron. I really don't. I mean, I do think that we need more resources dedicated to the to the border, and uh, we need to modernize our ports of entry. Uh, it's really important. And so, you know, we have a lot of, of interstate, inter-country uh, commerce. Uh, you know, I'm talking with truckers who have to wait hours and hours and hours to get at the border to get into Mexico and vice versa. Uh, you know, they just tell me, you know, they risk their crops spoil. I mean, that you know, they're what they're carrying, the crops they're carrying across the border spoiling if they have to wait too long. And so I still think we need to dedicate more resources to modernizing our ports of entry. And, you know, you go down there, a lot of people work uh, in Mexico and, and vice versa. And so they're crossing the border every single day. And I think that uh, we still have a system that needs to, to be improved on. I think we can do that, but it's going to take some money. 
You helped pass President Biden's $1.9 trillion virus aid bill that will have extraordinarily profound effects on child poverty um, in the United States if analysts are right. What else do you think is realistic to expect from Congress for the remainder of your term? Well, just let me talk first about COVID. I mean, that the House passed it, the Senate passed it, you know, uh, the president signed it. I, I think that is the one issue uh, that I hear from people the most. And, and it really started um, a couple of years ago when I started getting phone calls from my uh, Native American friends in Arizona, and they were just like, this virus is, is shutting down our tribal communities. Uh, something has to be done. And, and there are, you know, Indian Health Services is being inundated with these cases and we don't know what to do. And, and so we really delved into it. I got to know everything I could possibly know. And we wanna make sure that we keep those local resources in those, those very remote uh, communities. So where, you know, they only have Indian Health Services that they can go to. And, and thank heavens for the dedicated doctors and medical personnel and Indian Health Services who have, have rode out the, ridden out the, the storm and, and continue to serve those much needed areas in, in tribal and rural Arizona. And so I think you know the fact that I grew up on tribal land in Arizona and, and lived in rural Arizona for a long time gives me a unique perspective on the needs of those rural communities, but it still boils down to economic development. Uh, and so again, you know, it brings me full circle. My top priority has always been creating, building a, a strong diversified economy in Arizona that can withstand the, the ups and downs of, of the economy. So, what else do you think is realistic beyond the COVID package um, in terms of the work ahead of Congress that, that can be done um, before your term ends? Well, I, I, let me just mention the small businesses, uh, and they're so key to, to Arizona. Uh, most businesses in Arizona are small businesses. They meet the definition and qualification of small businesses. And so, you know, we want to make sure they've got the resources. They employ a lot of people. Uh, and they're essential to, to, the, to Arizona's economy. So, so we want to make sure that, that we take care of our small business owners. You know, I ran a small business and it's tough. Uh, it's really tough. I mean, you end up working 24-7, never taking a vacation day. Uh, you know, but I enjoyed it because I, you know, I loved my employees and their dedication and wanted to take care of them. And so I was willing to put in the hours that were necessary. Uh, and sometimes I'd get up on... Uh, on my personal computer at 4 a.m. to answer my personal emails so that I could dedicate the rest of my day to, to the businesses. Uh, I just think it's really important to, to applaud and be available and support our small businesses in Arizona. And you're on the uh, Appropriations Committee. Uh, it's a pretty competitive committee, a, a prestigious committee. With you leaving, uh, where will that leave Arizona as far as uh, the appropriations front? Does the you know does bringing back earmarks uh, mitigate some of the the loss of some of that experience and presence there, or any predictions on what happens for us on that front? Yeah, I think it's a good thing that that earmarks are coming back. I mean, uh, you know, Arizona wouldn't be the state it is without without congressional earmarks. And 
Uh, I know it, it over the years it's, it's gotten a bad rap, but you know I think earmarks when they're done in a transparent way, uh, when it's open uh, and, and there's a frank discussion about the funding they're going to provide, I think I think we need that. Uh, and so I think Arizona is so unique in again in the amount of federal land that we have here. You know, and, and I and I talk with my colleagues on the East Coast, and you know I tell them how much federal land we have. In, excuse me, in Arizona and the West, and they're just astounded because they don't have that. I mean, so so it's just educating people about the needs of the West. All right, I will take the final question. Um, you've talked a lot about former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. You obviously are close friends. Um, you admire her so much. She endorsed you when you were running for your current job. Will you play an active role in recruiting and backing your successor? Absolutely, absolutely. We need the right kind of person uh, in Southern Arizona who understands how, how diversified the district is. You know, uh, you know we, we've got Cochise County, uh, we've got the border, we've got Douglas. Uh, you know, it's, it's a very diverse district and, and it takes a lot of time to cover it. So. You know, it has to be somebody who's willing to put in the time and the travel to be accessible to the people in Southern Arizona. And I think that's a very unique uh, kind of person. You can't just sit in your office in Tucson and represent Southern Arizona. Well, very good. Congresswoman Ann Kirkpatrick, thanks so much for sharing your time uh, with us on The Gaggle. Thanks much. We'll let you go. Thanks, Ron. It's a pleasure. Take care. You bet. listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. I thought Congresswoman Kirkpatrick did a pretty good job of avoiding, I suppose, the most important question that we had up top, and that is her health. You know, you mentioned to her and she mentioned as well that one of the most important things about a job like this is that you need to be able to travel, which clearly she has not consistently done for some time. Yeah, this has really been sort of the quiet concern among a lot of Democrats in particular, and a lot of Arizonans more broadly, that uh, Ann Kirkpatrick had this really nasty fall at the beginning of 2020. Shortly after she returned from that, we all went into quarantine, and Congress has been using proxy votes since spring of last year. Ann Kirkpatrick went back to Washington to be sworn in for her fifth and now final term back in early January. And really, has that's the only time she has spent in D.C. really in all, a year, it seems. So she has found this to be an especially challenging time uh, because of her age, her health, uh, her recovery. Um, it, it's just been uh, a very difficult time, and it has raised concerns, among others, um, how active she could continue to be. So, Ron, what are the political implications of Kirkpatrick's uh, decision? You know, what what could uh, what could this mean for Republicans? Well, I think the most important thing is it means that there's an opening. They at least have a chance, and they won't be running against Ann Kirkpatrick, who has bedeviled them for uh, more than a decade now in in two different districts. So 
for Republicans, this is a new chance. It's also coming as the whole state's congressional map will be redrawn. So the look of Arizona's southeastern district that includes parts of Tucson could look more conservative, more liberal, more competitive. We just don't know yet. That map has yet to be drawn. It is good news if you're a Republican that you won't have to face someone who has been a very good fundraiser throughout her career and is generally a pretty likable person. So for Republicans, it's at least a chance now to compete there. For Democrats, there's a lot of people who could consider jumping into this race. We've already heard some names on that. We'll get to those matters in due course. But this is a seat that has a lot of folks uh, who have sort of been eyeing it for some time. This is something that was only a question of when Ann Kirkpatrick would decide to move on. So it's a jump ball in a midterm presidential uh, cycle, and it's coming as the maps will be redrawn. So for Republicans, having been shut out of this seat now for a few elections, I'm sure this is a better deal than what they had yesterday. All right. And of course, we will be following your excellent uh, reporting on uh, the maneuverings by Republicans and Democrats with this uh, with this seat. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by our amazing podcast team, Amanda Luberto, with help from Maritza Dominguez and Katie O'Connell. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.